There are two great celebratory seasons in the church calendar. The primary celebratory season is Easter, during which time the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the launch of the new creation. The other celebratory season is Christmas, during which time the church celebrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is the eternal unifying of God and humanity. In order to prepare itself for these celebrations, both Easter and Christmas are preceded by seasons of penitence. The most celebratory season, Easter, is preceded by the most penitential season, Lent. And the lesser celebratory season, Christmas, is preceded by the lesser penitential season, Advent. In order to note the change to the season of Lent, traditionally a few things happen in the church service. First, the Alleluia's disappear, and they don't return again until we celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second, the bells disappear from the service as well, and silence plays a greater role in our worship and contemplation. Third, Instead of the summary of the law, which we normally hear every Sunday, during Lent the celebrant reads the Ten Commandments. I must confess that I always feel a bit awkward on this particular Sunday in Lent because not only does the celebrant read the Ten Commandments at the beginning of the service, but then we also hear the Ten Commandments read as part of our Old Testament reading. So within a short, maybe five-minute window on this third Sunday in Lent, year B, we hear the Ten Commandments twice in very short order, which means this is probably as good a Sunday as any to reflect theologically on the commandments and on the law. And that is precisely what Paul does in our reading from Romans 7. Paul is convinced that there was nothing wrong with the law in general nor with the commandments of the law. But Paul also is aware of what happened when the law came to Israel, which was the same thing that that happened when the law came to Adam. The law produced death. But then Paul was faced with the question, how can something that is good produce death? Paul solves this problem by arguing that it wasn't the law that produced death, but rather sin which dwells inside each and every one of us. And so Paul says what the law does when it comes to us is it exposes sin. In fact, it exposes not just sin in general, it exposes just how truly sinful we are. On our own, apart from Christ and apart from the gift of His Holy Spirit, We are, quote, of the flesh. But the law, Paul says, is spiritual. The commandments we heard today were intended to come to people who possess the Spirit of the living God inside them. This is the only way that they can be kept. And this means that when they came to the people of Israel who did not have the Spirit of God in that sense, the commandments came to a people who could not keep them. 
But now the commandments come to Christians who do possess the Spirit of God. And so what? What happens now? What Paul describes is a war within himself. He says, and see if you sympathize with this, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Christians are constantly faced with this conflict, this war, this inner turmoil. Because we live in that liminal space between freedom and release from sin on the one hand and the final consummation of our salvation on the other hand. Yes, we have the Spirit of the living God inside us, but we are still of the flesh. We have been set free and yet we await the redemption of our bodies. And until that day comes, we are caught, trapped in the in-between. In the wilderness. When so often we know the right thing to do, or we know the wrong thing that we shouldn't do, and then we end up doing the opposite. When we look back on those moments in our lives, we will likely be confused, even shocked by our own actions, because generally speaking, We know the things we're supposed to do, and we know the things we're not supposed to do. And yet, so often, at least for some of us, maybe not you, and yet so often sin rears its ugly head, works hand in hand with our flesh, and we end up doing the very thing that we hate, the very thing we know that we shouldn't do as a member of the body of Christ. One response to this reality, one response to this conundrum of the Christian life, is after we've been knocked down to grab onto our own moral bootstraps and try to pull ourselves up. In the context of Lent, this is the person who says, this is what I'm going to give up for Lent. Or, this is what I'm going to put on for Lent. And then goes out and does it by their own shoe. This is the person who says, I'm going to stop committing this or that sin. I'm going to do this. Full stop. We play to this a bit in the church. We don't want Lent to be too hard for you. So for Lent, we suggest giving up something small, like chocolate, or, or soda, or something like that. Something that you, in your own willpower, have the ability to accomplish. But that is not how Lent is supposed to work. It is not the goal of Lent. For after 40 days have passed, for you to demonstrate what you could accomplish 
in your own and through your own willpower. Rather, it is the goal of Lent that you create a law for yourself that you cannot keep so that when you try and ultimately fail, you expose how truly sinful you are and turn to God in penitence and faith. Which is to say, this might sound shocking, but which is to say that I, as your rector, expect you to fail at your Lenten devotion. And if you don't, then you have truly failed. Lent, like the law, isn't about what you can accomplish. Lent is meant to expose something inside you, which is the same sentiment that Paul expresses in verse 18. This is what Lent is meant to expose inside each and every one of you. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Nothing good dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That thought is the goal of Lenten devotion. And if this concept of, I know what I should do, but I don't have the ability to do it, so I'm going to turn to God, sounds vaguely familiar. I hope it does. Because in my humble opinion, this idea is the very heart and center of Anglican theology. It's, it's Anglican theology at its very core. And let me show you why I think that. In the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, which is still the official prayer book of the Church of England and the basis, or much of the basis, for our 2019 prayer book, there is a catechism. It is the official catechism of the Anglican Church. And while other Reformation traditions were writing long, detailed catechisms, the English Church did not. Our catechism is very simple. It emphasizes what really matters and leaves to the side everything that doesn't and that's why I love it, and that's why I think it's so beautiful. Our catechism begins by asking if the person who is sort of being addressed understands what happened when he or she was baptized. Then the catechism turns to the Apostles' Creed, and then to the Ten Commandments, and then to our Lord's Summary of the Law. Up until this point, the catechist is just simply asking questions. Do you know what happened when you, etc., etc., etc.? But now at this point, after discussing baptism, after discussing the creed, after discussing the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Summary of the Law, now the catechist speaks directly to the person being addressed in the catechism. And this is what he says My good child, Know this, that thou art not able to do these things of thyself, nor to walk in the commandments of God and to serve him, 
without His special grace, which thou must learn at all times to call for by diligent prayer. Let me read that again. My good child, know this, that thou art not able to do these things of thyself, nor to walk in the commandments of God and to serve Him without His special grace, for which thou must learn at all times to call for by diligent prayer. That's it. That's what Lent is driving you to understand. That's what the law is driving you to understand. You do not possess the ability to be the person that God intends you to be. And no matter how long you pull on your own bootstraps and try to live the Christian life in your own willpower, you will ultimately fail. Because that is not how the Christian life was intended to be lived. The answer when we fail when we stumble, when we fall, isn't more willpower and more self-determination. The answer is prayer. The answer is listening to the Holy Spirit. The answer is to ask God that we would be determined more by, who, more by His Spirit inside us than by our flesh which so easily corrupts us. And if you need further proof of this, then when you go home today, keep reading from Romans 7 into Romans 8. And what you'll see, the very next topics Paul has in mind, the Holy Spirit and prayer. Because that's what the law is intended to drive us towards. So as we walk with Christ on the way of the cross during this season of Lent, remember you are not able to walk this path. If you think you are, if you're walking the path and it's going really well, you're probably on the wrong path. (laughs) You are not able to be the person that God has intended you to be because you are still in the flesh even though you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you. And so there is this war going on in your inner being, between your flesh and between the Spirit, between all that is left in you that is still of Adam and all that is in you that is of Christ. And your job, faced with this conflict, is not to win, and certainly not to win under your own power as if that was even possible. Rather, your job through the struggles of this life and through the trials of Lent is to learn at all times to call by diligent prayer for God's special grace so that you can be the person He intends you to be. We talk about being a church on the way. This is the way. When we stumble, when we fall, We turn to God in penitence and faith and pray for more grace and more of His Holy Spirit to make us who He intends us to be. You are not able to do these things on your own. So you must learn to pray. You must learn to pray 
diligently for God's special grace. Amen.